I think it should never be permitted to happen again. That is very good. Hello everyone and welcome to the Cricket Podcast with me Jack, Ross Legg. Hello. And Max Ray Brown. Hello. On this week's show we'll be celebrating the return of cricket. England make a string of average decisions and go down to the West Indies in the first test of the summer. Why did that happen? Who's to blame? There's another test in three days. Can England bounce back? And finally, uh, as I alluded to, recreational cricket is back. So to celebrate, Ross and I had a chat with author and historian Tom Holland about a glittering amateur career. But first, Ross, um, yesterday afternoon, why did you kick down someone's fence? <laughs> uh, I didn't kick down someone's fence. It wasn't in an, it wasn't in an anger or anything like that. There was a slight slope and uh, I was crawling all the way towards the boundary and I didn't think to dive um, I thought I'd do best a nice little uh, a little draw back with the foot not accounting for the five yards between the boundary and this poor old lady's fence and then um, when, I, when I saw the fence it was a bit too late to do anything and it was either my whole body kind of hot fuzz-esque on the Nick, Fro- Nick Frost front or try and do try and do a, a stop myself with my feet um, and I ended up in the middle of the fence. <laughs> <laughs> um, the lady wasn't happy, was she? No, she. I, I honestly, I was stuck. My whole right leg was through the fence, and the old lady came out and was just like, "Well, what are you going to do about my fence?" Didn't even ask if I was all right. Hmm. Uh, Max, you were there. What did you think of the situation? One of the funniest things I've ever seen on a cricket pitch. <laughs> it was. It was a wonderful way to get back to recreational cricket. It really was. <laughs> The correct answer. Uh, yeah, it truly was spectacular. Um, that's right. I don't like cricket club is back. We beat Petswood uh, in a in a thrilling chase uh, to to win. Um, it was a record chase for us. It was. Um, we don't want to bore the listeners with that though. So we'll remind them that you can find us on Twitter at the Cricket Pod or on Instagram at the Cricket Pod. Had. Pod, um, or you can drop us an email, thecricketpod at gmail.com. Uh, anything else we need to tell them, Ross? Subscribe on iTunes or Apple yes. Podcasts, wherever it goes. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. And tell your uh, friends. Yes, that was it. And Max, what, what do you want to say again? Tell your friends. Word of mouth is the way to go, we've decided. We're eschewing te- uh, technological and digital ways of drumming up further engagement and decided to go the old-fashioned way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you if you if you do tell a friend and we get a referral, great. I'll send you a picture of Max's new haircut. <laughs> great. And um, we'll take a short break and then we'll be back with England v the West Indies Test One. There's 335 to win for India, and then came the near unbelievable part. Sunil Gavaskar batted through 60 overs and made 36 not out. I've never seen anything quite like it in a limited overs game before or since that day. It was almost as though they were having batting practice, either that or playing for a draw. England won the match by 202 runs. That's right. Test cricket is back. Boys, what were your impressions uh, of, the, of the return of the game? Did, did anything take you by surprise? Uh, I thought Stokes was actually quite a good captain. Yeah. Max, have you got anything to add? Um... Well, I I must say actually the silence was eerier than I thought it would be. Yeah, I didn't really the like first the first time. The first time someone hit a four, it was all a bit weird. Yes, I I agree with that. I uh, it was, it was yeah. They had crowd noise on. It was like the crowd weren't watching uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. at all. They they hadn't quite taken the uh, the Premier League well the Sky Sports' approach to to football crowd noise yeah. with applause in appropriate places. It, I think it, it would like, just be better without the hum. It, it was like being in a moderately busy pub. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, we are, of course, talking about England v the West Indies. England went down by four wickets um, to the West Indies. Uh, ultimately, I think England probably ended up a little bit closer to winning that game than it seemed at six o'clock yesterday evening. Um, but I think had they managed it, it would have been an absolute robbery. Um I've got some points on England and the West Indies. Should we start with England, as um, we are, in theory, England fans? Yep. Yep. 
Um, well, my assessment, and, and we'll hear from you two, two after this, um, my assessment was that England were, were basically a shambles. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I've, I've broken this down into sort of two sections. So I, I think when it comes to sport, and particularly like professional level sport, what teams sort of focus on, and you'll have heard these two phrases, uh, is controlling the controllables. Have you heard that one? Oh, yeah. I'm a big fan yeah. of that one, actually. Yeah, and executing your skills. Less of a fan of that. Yeah, but I mean, like in normal people speak, um, I think that fundamentally what that means is make good decisions and do what you've practiced. Is that yep. fair to say? Um, in my opinion, England have failed on both of those points. Um, I, I can go into that in a little bit more detail, but fellas, what are your, what, what do you think about England? Yeah, pretty um, underwhelming, I think. As you alluded to, definitely some issues with the decision-making. Um, I'll, I'll leave you to, to flesh that out a bit more. Um, also, though, I think we... Uh, well, it was just too many silly mistakes, weren't there? Especially on the final day. Um, I think there were there were four definitely makeable chances that went down. And at, at that stage, it's a very different game if we if we take those catches, take those run-outs. And... Um, and yeah, like like you said, also not really not really playing to our strengths. I don't think. No, um, Ross. What were your what was your impression? I find myself being suckered in again by England. Like I I wanted like, on the on the last podcast, I wanted to be the kind of bravado, belligerent England fan and be like, we're going to beat everybody and it's going to be everything's going to be fantastic. And honestly, it was just same old England. And the, the after the first like what two hours of play, it was pretty inevitable that it was going to be a bit of a chastening defeat. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know if <laughs> that soon. Or do you mean on on Friday, on um, Sunday, yesterday? The, yeah, yeah, yeah that's what yeah. Okay, right, yeah. Um, uh, so, Not two hours into the test, <laughs> I was going to say, it mainly rained. Um, should, we, should we start with the decisions? Uh, if we go back to the control the controllables and execute your skills thing, we'll, we'll start with what they could have controlled and didn't. Um, before the test even started... England have made the decision to drop um, their most effective bowler of the last year. Uh, broad out and I guess Wood in. What, what did you think of that? I, I wasn't a fan. Yeah, I kind of thought England wouldn't be so um, bold is probably the term. I think um, looking that we're going to have um, what, six tests in seven weeks and we're playing at Old Trafford, which is a bit more of a bouncier, faster wicket, you'd think that they'd want to play Wood and Archer in that game, in all those two games, yeah, um, and probably split them up, especially as you, you've got Anderson who's coming back from injury, Woods coming back from injury, and Joff. Um, and yeah, it, just, it just didn't seem to kind of stack up on the kind of sports science or kind of common sense um, element. No. Um, I, I think that basically sums up why Broad should have been playing. Um, did you see his interview, Max, um, that, that he gave mid-test? Yeah, he wasn't too happy, was he? No, Although uh, I suppose there was some sort of uh, a, a bit of a sort of reticence there as well, and try, well, try, trying not to, you know, uh, make too much of it. Sort of row back on some of the things he said to start with by saying um, that Stokesy was really good about it, and you know they were they assured me that I'm still in the plans, which was nice to hear. But uh, that was just I think that was him trying to take the edge off it a little bit because he yeah. did he wasn't happy, but I. I'm, you know, I'm with you. I think it was a, a strange decision to leave him out, and I can understand why he's so irate. Because, yeah. like we say, he has been England's best bowler over the last year or so, and filling in where we've had the injuries, and really stepping up and being being our key man. So um, I think we probably should have gone with that. But yes, he's, he's not um, going to be magnanimous, though, is it? Stuart Broad. <laughs> well, it was classic Broadie, yeah. Um, a couple of other decisions that they 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 made, and I, I don't know if they'll necessarily regret, um, but po- possibly possibly they, they think there was a wiser path they could have taken. Uh, they picked an off spinner against a team of right handers who play off spin quite well, um, and they picked Joss Butler. Um, I think pre test we were slightly incredulous that Joss Butler had got another go, uh, and we called that one right, boys. Uh, I reckon he's it... going to be given a run in the side. Chris Silverwood has come out and said they're going to give him every opportunity. So I think he's going to have the test series. Right. Because, well, yeah, they they haven't given him much of an opportunity up to this point, <laughs> have they? So it's only um, fair. 
Yeah. <laughs> I think, what's the stat? He's got one century in 42 test matches and one one half century in the last 20. Yeah. No, I was um, I was on I reckon there are good club cricketers that would get a half century if they had 20 goes at um test cricket. 20 <laughs> innings. <laughs> um, he's not Especially I don't, I don't know they've given Joe Deadly plenty of opportunities. He's only managed <laughs> well, no, about he's two. Got a few 80, hasn't he? We also Joe, played Joe Ireland Den- over that time as well, so every yeah. chance. I mean Joe Denley has has comprehensively outbatted Josh, Josh Butler. Um and he's going to go. Yeah, I mean, I mean, when, no you say co- when you say co- um, he's completely outplayed well, Josh I, Butler, his I, average is three runs higher at twenty-four in the last year. Well, I mean, like, I, no, I don't know about that. Is it? Yeah. Well, yeah either so, way, I mean, like, um, I I thought Denley's average was more like 30, 30 or twenty. In the, in, the, in the last twelve months, not in the total, it's um, Joe Denley has an average of twenty-four. Oh, Josh Butler has an average of twenty-one. Is Denley's average boosted by some appearances against West Indies before that then? Don't know. By the way, I mean, Denley was good in the Ashes, Butler wasn't. <laughs> Denley, Denley I, th- I think you can say comprehensively outbatted, has outbatted, uh, has comprehensively outbatted Butler. Easy for um, you to say. Based, <laughs> based, on, um, based on their respective roles in the team. Um, but anyway, decision-wise, you're right. Yeah, we... um, final, final point on decisions then. Uh, the decision to bat first was poor. Um, oh yeah. The forecast the first two days of the match was for overcast conditions, with it brightening up on Friday, Saturday, and then good weather on Sunday. Um, yeah, really weird. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it I, is I dangerous don't. to look up when you're making that decision, but sometimes you do just have to do it because it was so obvious how it was going. And also, you got to think about. So this is going back to sort of playing to your strengths or executing your skills or however you want to put it. You know, England's seam attack is a good attack. And if we can make the most of helpful conditions, we could have put some real pressure on on the West Indies and a potentially flaky top order. And instead we went for, well, it might spin a bit on the fifth day, so we've gone for our rookie off-spinner. But but I also think you can flip what you just said around there, Max, is that the West Indies have a strong bowling attack and we've got a flaky top order. Well, And so we, we we gave them the opportunity to rip out our top order for not many runs in difficult conditions, stopping and starting. So, yeah, yes, I thought it was odd. Um, I think on the control and the controllable fronts, we'll we'll leave that there. England's decision making not good from the management level down. I mean, I think Stokes, as you said, Ross captained okay. Didn't really yeah. have a bad game apart from that major decision with the toss. Um, then when it came to executing your skills, um, I don't. I wouldn't say they were they were absolutely hopeless, um, but they weren't great either I mean obviously here the headline is Joe Denley uh, and him probably never playing for England again I'd have thought uh, after that but I I feel I feel he he's not necessarily the fall guy because there's the context of Joe Denley around um, him probably being dropped but eight other English batsmen or or, sorry no eight English batsmen in total um, were out between 20 and 50 um, Stokes did it twice Denley did it twice and Burns did it twice um, and that's that's fundamentally the difference between an average team which England are and a good team mm-hmm. um, is is uh, I mean it's good but it's not quite good enough is it? Yeah I think and you can't you can't opt to bat and then post 204 as your first innings total you're just yeah. not going to you're not going to win many test yeah. matches when you do that um, On the bowling side England took a couple of wickets with no balls. That's not executing your skills. That's, hmm. that's but that's also the um, that's also the umpires not executing their skills. And is I'm it? sick. And, I'm sick. Of, honestly, the technology is there. You've got people out of work anyway. Just sit. Just put a camera on it and put a <laughs> put a third umpire. Who cares? Literally, that would be the easiest thing. There were so many no balls. You could see they were bowling them. Call them, and then the bowlers know where to go. Yes, it is the bowlers shouldn't be bowling the no balls. But the umpires have a duty to tell them that they are bowling no balls. Yeah, I feel like you're letting England off there. I thought Wood tried a little bit too hard as well, maybe. Um, I don't think he bowled very well. Um, and then finally, uh, Max, you've mentioned this already, the fielding was not good on day five. Um, in terms of like executing what you practice day in, day out. If they, if they field well on day five, they win the test. It's yeah, as simple as that, I think. 
Yeah, Josh Butler dropped a pretty straightforward catch as well. Yeah, they're going to give him every opportunity to, to, <laughs> to, <laughs> to drop some more. Um, that's that's sort of what I thought about England. Um, any good points that you two can come up with? There were some. Yeah, there were there were a few flashes um, after getting a bit of a, a barracking from England fans and Tino Best. Uh, Joffre Archer pulled out a pretty decent spell on on uh, Sunday, showing why he is actually quite good at cricket. <laughs> and yeah. Um, yeah, well, I think that's it, really. <laughs> yeah, no, that was the sort of point I had down. Um, I think Burns and Sibley are forming a pretty good opening partnership, actually, as well. Yeah, I think that's you can say that that that's fair enough. Um, yeah, the only I don't cri- think the only... England have to worry about that in the immediate future. No, they only got more pressing is, concerns. Yeah, they do. I think the only concern around that is when Dom Sibley just needs to learn how to rotate the strike a little bit more because he he ended up what I think he was on fifty off of one hundred and fifty, one hundred and sixty deliveries, and as much as you, he's there to take up those, there are Royston Chase isn't the best bowler in the world and he had pinned him down for ages what did I say Royston Chase yeah you call him Royston place in Cambridgeshire (laughs) 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 Sibley could also do with working out how not to snick off the leg slip as well that's a pretty special skill he's got yeah but I mean it's also not the worst thing in the world I'd much rather him have that flaw than yeah I think that's easy enough to overcome yeah I mean I I think finally to wrap up England I, I, I do think if they bat like they did in the second innings Going forward, they'll have too much for the West Indies and they'll win the next two tests. Um, but, you know, there's, there's question marks around whether they're capable of doing that. Root coming yeah. back helps, but... Yeah, and I think uh, I think it'd be good to have... Uh, Crawley looked really good, by the way, I thought. They left a good impression. Uh, but as you say, Joe Root coming back really strengthens the England team. Yeah. Um, and then, should we move on to the West Indies? I think we have to give them like, a fair amount of credit here. Um, based on the same criteria that we've just ju- judged England on, uh, in terms of making poor decisions and not executing uh, their skills uh, I, I think the West Indies were almost to the total opposite um, they made good decisions they picked a side that was well balanced I thought um, they were obviously really well led I mean everyone knows how good Jason Holder is uh, it, not just tactically but in terms of galvanising uh, the West Indies players and getting them to um, work as a unit and play to to their own strengths but also fulfill their role in the team mm-hmm. um, so I thought they were, they were really excellent at that um, and then when it came to to um, what, what they were trying to do um, particularly on the bowling side they, they had clear plans Shannon Gabriel was going to bowl at the stumps and he was going to bowl fast and um, that worked very well I would say <laughs> <laughs> I, also, I also like actually how they've managed managed Gabriel as well so I think he was, it was an injury doubt before and I think they always want people who are hungry to play cricket they, he's, Jason Holder's talked about the passion he wants and wants people performing every single game he came through in the war up games bowled really well and really showed his desire to have that place for himself and within yeah. what the first five ten overs that he's bowled he's got Three three wickets and he was absolutely fantastic and got a five for in the second innings. Yeah, um, and then and then on top of that is is the captain himself. Um, Holder with the ball was magnificent in the first innings when the conditions were helpful. Um, bowled basically how I think Stuart Broad would have bowled in the <laughs> in the same conditions and um, caused well mayhem, um, basically. <laughs> uh, so, so that was good, um, and then when it, and when it came to their batting, uh, they they weren't. Um, I, I think the stereotypical view of West Indian batting is that it's very flamboyant. Um, they weren't that; it was quite attritional, and they they yeah. all seemed to be playing fairly attritional cri- they cricket. They stuck in. They yeah. they really stuck at it. That was really impressive, I think, especially um, in that uh, it was a bit of a, a tough period, wasn't there, on the second day, and yes. and they navigated that really well. Yeah, Ross. It was that when uh, Chase and Dalrich um, put on a decent partnership, and yeah, and then they started to take the game away from England a little bit. Um, Dalrich had a great knock in the first innings, and then I, I think maybe not the man of the match performance, but but certainly uh, the surprise performance was Jermaine Blackwood um, scoring ninety five in the chase, um, which I think it's fair to say nobody really saw coming. <laughs> He likes to score runs against England. The average is fifty-five against England. He's I, only hit a century against us. I, I think it was more the manner to to, to bat like that on day five, chasing two hundred when you're you come in and your team are 
in the shit. Um, <laughs> as they say. And you've got a reputation for... He's, he's not exactly top of the list of players you'd want to come in in that situation, is he? No, I mean, you saw in the first innings, he came out <laughs> batting like a village cricketer, didn't he? He was just like, I'm back and playing cricket, I'm getting some boundaries. <laughs> it was out for 12 or something. Um, so, uh, it was all, yeah, it was almost a complete reverse of the, of the first innings. And, um, and yeah, I mean, like, it wasn't a single-handed effort by any stretch. Um, but but batting-wise, the innings of the, of the game, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think. Um, so, very good. It looks like we've got a series on our, on our hands. Yeah, and I also think they got the team balance right. It would have been easy for them to pick Raheem Cornwall and have kind of that other spin option. But Royston, Roston Chase, not Royston Chase, Roston Chase bowled well and tied up an end really well. I think it went less than two, 2.5 and over, less than 2 and over in the first innings. And then um, Azari Joseph bowled fantastically, completely fulfilled his role as the kind of enforcer and bowled really well. Yeah, I think we'll get on to like what both teams will do for the second test when Max um, takes us through what will will happen in the future. Um, and Mystic Max. He can do. <laughs> yeah, Mystic Max. Hmm. Um, does anyone have any other reflections on, on the first test, though? Nope. Um, what about what about the player's chair? Were you a fan? Oh, the big brother chair? Yeah. Uh, I, I, thought, I, thought, I actually thought it was quite good, if I'm perfectly honest. I, I was thought, a big fan of the chair, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think for kind of um, access, and I think they, they must truly realise now that everyone, this is like the main sport if it's finally back around the world it's great to have that insight into the players you just don't normally get it I think it's great yeah no I thought it was, that was very good and I, I think as well we need to acknowledge um, how good Sky's coverage of the Black Lives Matter uh, movement was um, with Emily Rainford Brent and Michael Holding mm-hmm. uh, while, while the rain delay was happening on, um, on Wednesday morning yeah, it was, it was, it was completely it was like, the term unprecedented it gets thrown around a lot recently but that was unprecedented broadcasting there. It was absolutely phenomenal. And Michael Holding was... It was close to tears. Him and NASA were close to tears. And then Ebony Rainford Brent came up and action planned straight through. It was fantastic viewing. Yeah, I, I feel like the BBC news channels could learn <laughs> from, <laughs> from, them, from Sky Sports on that one. Um, should, we, should we wrap up um, what, for England fans, must have been a, a sort of a fairly disappointing first test, but for West Indies fans... Uh, uh, a great test and should we, should we, should we put, draw a line under that and then have a break so before we talk about the next test um, as you said before please recommend it to your friends please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and find us on social media at the Cricket Pod um, Max the next test there's some big decisions for England to make um, I'm pretty sure that the West Indies might go with an unchanged side, but what are you thinking in the England space at the moment, at the point? Well, it's one good thing is probably for both sides actually. When you look at the fact that England will want to bounce back from a pretty underwhelming performance, and the fact that the West Indies will want to continue the momentum they've got and make the most of uh, how well they've started, is that the test is in only a few days and starts again on Thursday, which is. Um, well, great for fans for having more cricket. Like I said, great for England in being able to bounce back and great for West Indies um, to carry on. But with that brings questions about selection. So, you know, uh, they haven't bowled in a test arena for a very long time. It's, uh, you know, it's very different to bowling overs in the nets. Five days of a pretty hard slog. So the first thing that we're really we have to examine is, is it going to be... Wood, Archer and Anderson again? Um, I don't think so. Yeah, my initial impression is no. Um, it's, it's strange. I, I feel like they almost went it the wrong way round with um, with their selections. I think If you were going to team Wood and Archer up, everybody seems to think that Old Trafford yeah. is the place to do that. Absolutely. Um, but they've almost got no choice but to leave one of them out and I assume that will be Wood. I think so. I think that's the most likely. Archer... Um... Probably bowled himself into that second test with his uh, showing on day five. I mean, uh, I was... think, yeah. I mean, I, I think Archer out bowled Wood the whole way through the test. Um, I, I, know I, I think I know he didn't yeah. take any wickets in the first innings, but uh, he clearly was a better bowler. Yeah, I think he's the first. He's probably the first bowler on the team sheet, isn't he? Jeffrey I'd Archer. Have, I'd have thought so. Yeah. Yeah, I think they'll probably bring back Broad as well for uh, maybe for Anderson. Even um, you know, a bit of extra height could uh, could make a difference. Um, I think I think there's also a chance that Don Bess actually gets dropped. Yes, uh, I why well, I, uh, 
I, I, I don't think they'll drop Don Bess after one test. I think yeah. he'll get at least one more, and then, then maybe we'll see Moeen or um, or Leach. He also uh, batted all right in the first innings, so that will that will count towards him. I mean, we we won't mention the second innings where he just played inside the ball for no discernible reason. Yeah, but... I think you're 100 percent right, Max. That 30 um, will England will look at that like it was about 80. Uh, as they as they do <laughs> yeah. with lower order runs. And, well, it was uh, tough conditions, wasn't it? Um, I mean, the other thing though, as well, in terms of the balance of the side, if you drop Bess and bring in Leach, you might want to bring in Wokes. So if we if we do see Leach for Bess, then we'll probably see Wokes instead of Broad or Anderson. Yeah, um, maybe. Um, what would your predicted team be, Max? So I think it'll be uh, root in for Denley, mm-hmm. possibly with Crawley batting at three instead. Um, you know, Root said he's happy to take on the number three role, but the evidence is to the contrary. And um, and then I think it will just be, given that we've spoken that Butler is going to get a run in the side for whatever reason that is, that it will be, I think, broad for Anderson. Yes. And I would like to see Wood and Archer again, but... Oh, yeah, I, I think it will be Wood out, broad in. DS as the only bowling change. Ross, have you got any thoughts? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, from a West Indies point of view, Max, can we expect any changes? Well, you wouldn't. Um, you wouldn't want to break it up, would you? That that side, it did well. It. We'll see what Jan- John Campbell's toes like. Yes. Uh, he finished the innings pretty much on one leg, so uh, there may be uh, maybe room for a change in the batting lineup there. But, so, might see, uh, so might see um, De Silva come in. Probably, probably not. Although, he, well, you, I mean, yeah, with an injury to the Test team, he might come in from the reserve side. But I think it, it's more likely that they'd uh, bring in someone already in the squad. Uh, and then from the bowling side, I mean, yeah, Shannon Gabriel bowled really well. Holder's not going to drop out. Maybe Alzari Joseph for Shamar Holder or something like that. Um, but if yeah, they're all that, fit that'd and be a, to go, that'd be a harsh dropping. That was yeah. If they're all fit and raring to go, no reason to change it because they all bowled really well, mm-hmm. I think. And there we are. if you want to win the series, go for it in this test. Yeah. What do you? Um, what should we, should we? Should we make some predictions collectively here, or have you got anything else to add, Max? Uh, no, not really. I think it'll just be uh, interesting to see how the how the pitch plays. Obviously, um, uh, it was pretty good, wasn't it, in Southampton? I think. Uh, a little bit for for the bowlers and enough to keep you interested and we got a result even with a lot of the time out of the game so that's that's good it's a um, great we'll looking stadium if... yeah the golf oh, course yeah. looks alright as well doesn't it on the outside <laughs> won't yeah. be as much uh, outside game entertainment for the players up, up in Old Trafford but um, yeah we'll see if it's as bouncy as they say it will if it is West Indies are in with a real shout I think mm-hmm yeah, um, right, so predictions then. Uh, Ross, do you want to kick us off? Uh, who, who's going to have a good game? Who's going to win? Um, I still think it's going to be 3-0 England. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I England have this bit now. I think we've lost the last five uh, opening matches to a test series, so uh, which is obviously not a very good record, and we're uh, kind of used to fighting back. It's almost like they like the Mourinho siege mentality. They kind of need to go... Need to have people coming at them. So you're um, saying it's a tactic to go one nil down in a three test series. I think it's it's the kind of genius I expect from Ed Smith and, um, <laughs> and it's, kind of what he, it's what he, it's what he might instill in the players that kind of false sense of security into the West Indies side. Um, I think we didn't see the best from Ollie Pope in this in this match at all, really. Uh, but I think with someone like with Joe Root coming back into the side, it makes it so much stronger. Um, so I'd anticipate England actually doing well here, and I think England are going to win. Okay, Max, have you got any thoughts? Yeah, well, I, I at the start I said two-one West Indies, and that if they put on a, a score of about three hundred, they could put us under pressure. So so far, so good from my point of view. Um, and now we just have to follow it up with England winning the next two, and I look like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I I think England will bounce back. Um, I think overall they're a better cricket team than they appeared to be. In Southampton last week, uh, I I think that if they bat like they did in the second innings, they mm. will beat the West Indies comfortably. I just don't think the West Indies can score six hundred runs against England's attack, whether it's got Broad in or Wood in. Um, 
and I, if England bat properly, that's what they'll have to do to to win. Yeah. Um, so I I think for that reason, um, England should win. Uh, yeah, pitch we, depending. Well, well that's it. We're bringing Joe Root back, and I think you, you just can't underestimate how good that player is. He's unbelievable, especially compared to Joe Denley. It's like we're getting rid of a Fiat Panda and bringing in like a brand new Tesla. That's what we're doing. A brand new Tesla. Interesting. Uh, right. <laughs> Not the car I would have gone with. Uh, uh, excellent. Um, I think that's. I think that's everything for the the test matches. Um, catch our next episode, and we'll we'll be reviewing um, what what we what the the upcoming test and, and see how wrong we were. Test. Yeah, um, we are now. Um, Ross and I are about to interview. Um, Tom Holland, the author and historian. Um, I mean, I say about to. We we actually recorded the interview last week. Um, an interesting guy, I thought, Ross. Yeah, a really nice, um, unbelievable trip to India. Like the, mo- the most jealous I've ever <laughs> been. Like when we spoke, we sat and spoke with David Gower, and I was sitting there going, "This guy is ridiculous." Tom Holland is like our, like our level, maybe worst level in cricketing ability, and yet he has had the best cricket tour you've ever 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 heard of yeah well worth um, well worth listening to that um, we'll take a quick break and uh, then we'll be um, playing that interview shall we play a game of village cricket yeah, yeah, yes yes Today on our podcast, we have an award-winning author. My favourite book of his is Rubicon, and the most recent, Dominion, The Making of the Western Mind, was published last year. You may also know him from Twitter, where he can often be found voicing the sentiment of many recreational cricketers. His highest career score is 42. He's hit 1-6 and his batting coach is Alistair Cook. Welcome to the Cricket Podcast. How are you doing, Tom Holland? Thank you very much for having me. What an introduction. <laughs> we, we've got you on uh, mainly to talk about recreational cricket. Um, obviously, you're um, known in public life uh, as an author and historian and um, a very readable one at that, I, I will say. But uh, in terms of cricket, um, obviously that returns this weekend. Um, are you excited to be playing again? Well, it, it's a kind of tragic story because for me, because I, I work at home, the lockdown didn't really hit until the first cricket match that we were due to be playing, which was on the 1st of May. And we had three amazing fixtures lined up and we'd all been kind of looking forward to them for months. And even when the lockdown came in, we thought, oh, it'll be over by May, won't it? <laughs> and then May came and that's when I, I, I first time I got really, really depressed thinking, you know, why, why did this bloke eat a bat? Doesn't he, didn't he know that it was going to ruin our cricket season? And then the next, the next huge one was um, we, had, we had an incredible sequence of matches lined up. I mean, the, probably the greatest sequence of amateur cricket matches that had ever been lined up in the history of amateur cricket. Because we were going to play at the Royal Artillery Company in London, which is, um, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's kind of, it's this amazing cricket ground in the middle of London where Henry VIII, um, people used to go and practice their archery and things, and, and then their artillery, so hence the artillery. So that, that was a, going to be an amazing match. Then we were going to play uh, Tim Rice's Heartaches team in a two-day a two day match at Arundel <laughs> Castle. Another beautiful and ground. Then, and then we... For what for me is always the highlight of our season, which is the um, two innings one day match to mark the summer solstice at Avebury in the shadow of the great stone circle. So the whole way through the kind of build up to midsummer, I was thinking, surely they're going to let us play, surely. And that came and went. And then suddenly the announcement has come that we can play, but I've got an injured my Achilles. <laughs> <laughs> It's 20, just when I thought 2020 couldn't get any worse. This is the kind of the ultimate refinement of torture. So I th- when, when um, people are saying, oh yeah, you know, amateur cricket is going to come back, it's going to be, you're going to be fine. And then I got the injury. I wanted it to be banned until I recovered <laughs> from my injury. So, 
so that no one else can play. <laughs> That's the most cricketers' response. So it's a, it's a kind of so 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 I I am looking forward to playing cricket, but it's also what I'm not looking forward to is the fact that everyone else is going to be able to play when I can't. Yeah, that's that will be um, devastating. I, I have to confess, actually, um, for for the past few weekends, I've I've been praying for it to rain on Saturday and Sunday, <laughs> so, that, so that it feels like I've not lost out. Um, well, that was the, that was the great thing. So that the the, the, uh, the week of that amazing series of fixtures, it rained solidly, <laughs> <laughs> and it also rained the day that I booked tickets for the West Indies series at the Oval. Yeah, yeah. It, it was torrential. <laughs> So silver linings. Uh, silver lining. <laughs> Every storm cloud has a silver lining, yes. Jack obviously started the show saying that you're, uh, 42 is your high score. Um, yes. Does that mean that, um, one, is it true? So yes. that is true. Um, but does that mean you're an incredibly good bowler or do you just love the kind of attritional pain and disappointment that cricket brings? I, I, I was never very good. And I, I, I as a child, um, my father was was obsessed by cricket and my brother was incredibly good at it uh, and I kind of defined myself as as the member of the family who wasn't interested in sport and, and wasn't interested in cricket and then one day my father found, found himself stuck having to look after me so he said I'm going to talk you through a test match it was just beginning that's my idea of joker that's what I do now anyway so we sat down and the test match turned out to be Headingley 1981 which was obviously, you know, one of the all-time greatest test matches. Yeah. And I got completely smitten by it. And um, my father said, you've got to understand that, you know, this isn't normal. Not all test matches are this good. <laughs> and then it was, Edgewiston was just as good. And then Old Trafford. And I got completely hooked. And I, my, my passion for cricket even survived the subsequent India tour, which was one of the most boring series of all time. And I didn't mind. And so I, I wanted to play. And so I, I, I basically kind of taught myself. And... I'm not naturally very good at sport, but I, I could just about make myself into a decent bowler. So I, I, I ended up kind of opening the bowling um, at, at college. And then because I didn't open the bowling sufficiently, I set up a second eleven, which I could captain so I could do whatever I liked. Um, so <laughs> That's literally Jack. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the, I mean, you know, if you're captain and you organise it, then no one can really begrudge you. So, so I've always, I've always bowled, and you'll know that. that you know, don't need to tell your listeners that that, that at our level, um, if you bowl, generally you can't afford to bat as well, particularly if you're not very good, which which I wasn't. Um, so I've, I've, I'm very much focused on the bowling rather than on the batting. But of course, like every bowler, you know, I, I dream of, of batting as well. <laughs> So uh, when Alistair Cook gave you a batting lesson, is this what you were talking to him about? Going, I'm a genuine number eleven. I just want to get myself to a fifty. Yeah, that was that was really fantastic because it was a a, a feature in the Financial Times where they would map someone who was who was key but not very good at something with someone who was brilliant. So if you were a terrible chef or whatever, they they match you up with Gordon Ramsay or whatever. And so they matched me up with Alistair Cook, and it was it must have been um, two or three days after he just won the Ashes, and I thought it was, you know, if you've just won the Ashes and you're an England captain, you're not going to be interested in some loser turning up and, <laughs> and, and not knowing how to bat. But he was, he was, a, he was wonderful. He, he couldn't have been kinder. And he took it really seriously. And by the end of it, I felt I'm actually quite good. <laughs> and, and the following day, we were playing Shepparton Ladies 11. Um, and I, I hit a magnificent 22 not out and played a perfect on drive, which is what Alistair, as I like to call it, <laughs> had, uh, had taught me to play. Uh, I've never played one since, but for that one brief innings, I had a glimpse of what it was like to be Alistair Cook. Uh, yeah, how, how brilliant that must have been. <laughs> but he was so, and, and then, and then um, he, he was going off to, uh, to Australia. It was a terrible series where you know, the wheels fell off. And, um, I, I scanned a ticket to to go and see them off at the kind of reception at Lords, and he, as it were, saw me over a crowded room and came over and asked how the batting was going. And again, I thought, you know, I mean, an England captain with all the stress and the pressure and the hassle and everything to remember that. I I, I thought, what a what a what a wonderful man he is. He really should have been focusing his efforts on sorting out his opening partner at that time. But, uh, I, well, that's my worry, is that I was single-handedly responsible for <laughs> the most humiliating Ashes defeat that I distracted him <laughs> at a key moment. 
Um, uh, on the topic of cricket, um, so, so um, if you can't visually see this, um, Ross and I are, I think, slightly younger men than you, Tom. Um, yes. However, I, I, I think in cricketing terms, we may be on, on sort of roughly similar trajectories. Uh, certainly, I literally did set up a cricket team that I could <laughs> do and uh, bat where I want and <laughs> bowl, bowl as many overs as I like. Uh, on a kind of covert way, I don't, I don't make it obvious what I'm doing. Um, but, but it's I, obvious to the people who know cricket. <laughs> I, I know you could feel that. Uh, oh, I stand at first slip, so... Yeah, you see, because I was never very good at throwing. But I didn't want to just kind of, you know, stand at third man or something. So so I thought that was the best thing about being captain was you could position yourself strategically so that you were looked as if you were part of the game, but you wouldn't actually have to throw. I think yeah. in our team, I probably am one of the better fielders. Um, and that's not really a judgment about me. That's, that's more a judgment about some of the people we play with. However, I like chatting with the wicketkeeper more than I like fielding. So... But you won't be able to do that now, will you? I think under social distancing rules. I, I feel like it's a, there's a one meter spacing, and I, I my voice doesn't <laughs> carry roughly one meter <laughs> outside, so I, I should be all right. Um, what I was what I was going to say is, uh, as slightly younger men on a, on a similar trajectory, do you have um, any guidance about uh, sort of guaranteeing longevity uh, or, or something you can tell us? How, how do we continue to enjoy cricket for as long as you have? I think stay captain, um, <laughs> or if you can't stay captain. Uh, make sure that um, you play in a, in a team with someone who understands that it's really important that you personally get a game regularly and get to perform. I mean, that's that's the key thing. You need a sympathetic and understanding captain. Um, and then just a kind of complete and relentless focus on, um, on, on continuing to play. So um, families must be sacrificed if needs be. Um, <laughs> you know, ruin your marriage, your relationship with your children, whatever, um, and just accept that nothing is more important than continuing to play. And then I think you should just about be able to, to hang on. I mean, I'm, it's kind of, I'm hanging on by my fingernails at the moment. The, the, um, the, the Achilles injury that I've got is about the third Achilles injury I've had this decade. So that's that, that that's the drawback is that that every so often you get a crippling injury and it just takes longer to heal but you can, even that i mean you can you can then kind of talk about you know my physio and cortisone <laughs> injections and elite um elite injury recovery programs and things so i quite i, I try and enjoy that aspect of it <laughs> you can always become an umpire or a scorer no! they don't seem to have too bad at the time <laughs> or take up golf <laughs> Uh, we kind of um, see the longevity in cricket around the stories that you end up having and the kind of you're doing it with people that you enjoy spending time with for the most part. Um, do you have any kind of standout cricket tales that uh, kind of still resonate with you today? Yeah, there was there was one team that we, we had a kind of particular grudge against. Um, they, they were kind of our longest running um, adversaries. We liked them very much, but, you know, they were kind of frenemies. And there, there was one game where... Um, we, we scored, I think, 250 off um, 25 overs. And I thought, this is, this is an impregnable score. There's no way that they can possibly overhaul that. So this is a chance to give everyone a go, give the kind of people who don't normally have a bowl a go. And this, of course, was a terrible mistake because suddenly, you know, the wheels falling off our, our, our bowling attack um, and ended up with them needing to score six off the last ball, which I heroically bowled. And they hit six and it kind of sailed for miles and landed in a bin. And <laughs> it, was, it was kind of the last match of the season. And all that winter, I'd, I'd wake up in the middle of the night and go, oh, thank God it was a nightmare. Oh, no, it wasn't. It really happened. And it was awful. It, it kind of genuinely kind of hung over me all that winter, the, the, the memory of watching that ball sail into the bin. But from that point on, Every game that we played, we managed to kind of rustle up amazing victories against them that, that caused them incredible grief and pain in a most satisfying way. And the best one of all was um, we played them and they, they had uh, two excellent opening batsmen who they'd obviously brought in as ringers. And they, we couldn't get them out. And then one of them went to play a sweep and he, he, he swung round, his whole body swung round as he played the sweep, except for the front part of his, his um, knee, which didn't. 
and stayed rooted there. So it had come completely out of the socket. So they had to bring an ambulance on, put him in the back of the ambulance, take him off to hospital. And then, you know, the next guy came in, we couldn't get him out either. So we didn't take a single wicket, all three of their innings. And, and then we started batting and wickets fell at regular intervals. But we, we were kind of in the game. And then the batsman he'd done in his knee came back and he'd been put on laughing gas. So he was just lying there laughing hysterically. <laughs> as we managed to win by one wicket. <laughs> and I think that's the greatest victory of all time. That we didn't take a single wicket and we still beat them. <laughs> and that made up for the pain of watching that ball sail into the bin so deeply. Uh, nice. I, I think a great cyclical story uh, there. <laughs> um, on a slightly tangential note, um, I was reading this week's or this month's um, edition of, of, of the Wisdom magazine, and I noticed that there was an advert for a company that make posters of memorable moments in, in cricket oh, history. Was I had an interest. <laughs> um, <laughs> Shane Warne's Ball of the Century was there. Uh, there was another one, for, I, I was maybe Muralitharan or something like that. And then the third poster on this advert was Tom Holland, six. I think it was Tendulkar, wasn't it? It might have been Tendulkar, yeah. I think it's, it's Warne, Tendulkar and me. Um, my it's... question is, Tom, did you commission a poster of your own six? No, I did. I did. No, I didn't. Um, the reason is, is that... Um, Matt Thacker, who is the presiding guru over the Wisdom Empire, um, plays for the authors. And um, they obviously, I think, um, signed a deal with the people who do that. Uh, it's, I think it's mainly football, but they, they branched into cricket as well. And uh, he did it for me. And I, I think just as a kind of running joke, it's included in this advert. But obviously, every time I look at Wisdom and I see it, it is... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can yeah this is the greatest advert of all time <laughs> but, I, but because because the um the the six um that it records is the only six i've ever hit in my entire career and um it was the year that i'd given up captaining my own team and i began playing for another team called the authors which was a, a very ancient team going back to before the first world war when it's been set up by Conan Doyle and P.G. Woodhouse and all kinds of people like that. And then after the war, it, it kind of went into abeyance and it would be it, it would come back to life very so, so often and then kind of disintegrate again. Um, and um, two people, Charlie Campbell, who is an agent and author, and Nicholas Hogg, who is a um, novelist, got together and had the, the genius idea of revitalising this and then selling it as a package to Bloomsbury, who, who were kind of flush with... Harry Potter money at the time, so they had money to burn on kind of vanity projects. And they gave us, um, I think 15 grand or something like that. Um, and the idea was is that we would, it would be a team of, of authors and we would each have um, a, a single match that we'd write about and it would be a kind of themed around a particular aspect of cricket. So um, we played, I think it was a, a, a team at Eton, um, you know, on the playing fields of Eton. Um, and I think it was, I don't know, seconds or thirds or something like that. They, they, they were quite, I think they were kind of 16, 17, something like that. And it was a very wet day, but very unpleasant. Um, we were losing. I, 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 I get, I, this is when I had the Achilles and I was thinking I, I'm going to give up basically. Um, and it was kind of miserable. And I went out there and the, the guy was obviously lightning quick. I mean, gets faster and faster with each retelling of it. But I just kind of swung and the ball went kind of backward, backward square, um, kind of over the point boundary um, for six. And it was, it was amazing. And what was brilliant about it was that because it was um, a, a commercial project, this book, there was a there was a fantastic photographer, kind of professional standard sports photographer, <laughs> taking photographs of it. So there were three shots of me hitting the six and then celebrating, and I got the photo, and I thought, <laughs> I, I can just do with this what I, what I like. And it was when I just <laughs> set up a Twitter account, and I hadn't really worked out what what you do with Twitter, uh, so I was putting out kind of slightly earnest plodding tweets, and then I suddenly thought, God, I could just put out this photograph of me hitting a six kind of every day or maybe twice a day or maybe 10 times a day <laughs> and so I did that and um basically any now for, you know ever since then it was in 2012 so it was eight years ago any opportunity to put that photograph of me hitting a six 
and, and up it goes. So it's, I think annoyingly for all my, um, all, all, all my uh, friends in, in, in the office who are a much better batsman than me, it's probably the single most famous shot that, that anyone in the office has actually played. Not because it was a good shot, but because I've just typed it relentlessly to the degree that it is now ranked alongside Warren and Tendulkar is one of the great moments of uh, <laughs> of modern cricket, and you know, and 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 the brilliant thing is, is that that I managed to get it into I think the Telegraph, so so the Financial Times. I got it into the Financial Times. I got it into the Wall Street Journal. I think it got into the Times of India. So that photograph of me hitting a six is has reached an international audience. I'm particularly pleased about getting into an American newspaper. I mean, that's <laughs> fantastic. We can only dream of such self-promotion. <laughs> <laughs> the shot heard around the world. Uh, so you mentioned the Authors 11. Um, can you tell us a bit about the um, Authors 11? You've already kind of touched upon that Conan Doyle and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it must be a pretty good way to access these incredible venues that you kind of touched upon at the start. That was the, that, see, that was the brilliant thing, was that the team that I was captaining, it was very much... Um, we, we, we'd managed to bag a kind of, you know, one or two nice grants, but generally it was... Um, grounds by the M25, that kind of thing, you know, council grounds. Um, oh, we know them. <laughs> yeah, you know, kind of syringes in the outfield and things like that. Um, and then suddenly with all this money from Harry Potter, <laughs> we were, you know, it was, yeah, Arundel Castle, yeah, we, we had a match at Lords, you know, not actually on the main ground, but on, but on the nursery ground. We played at the Valley of the Rocks. Um, just kind of every, every match was, we played at Eton. I mean, every match was, was, this amazing, amazing venue, um, to the extent that we've become completely spoiled, and now we won't get out of bed unless at least the stately home is in the background. Or... <laughs> so, so it, it, that I think you know. You asked me earlier, how do you keep playing into your forties and, and and now fifties? Basically, play for a team where you just get to play in amazing, amazing places. <laughs> Uh, so what, what are the teas like in these places? So on our last show, we kind of eviscerated tea as being a bit of kind of a, a beige banquet. When, uh, what, what's it like at the stately homes? What, did you get a good one at Lord's? Uh, to be honest, I can't remember because obviously my memories are all about the sport. Mm. <laughs> um, the, my, my chief complaint about the teas is that um, I, I went vegetarian about four years ago and I actually found going to cricket tea the hardest thing to do and stay vegetarian because there's something about, I mean, you were saying eviscerating cricket teas. Actually, I think a kind of sausage roll at a cricket tea is, is kind of heavenly. And I found it really, really <laughs> difficult. Kind of Peter Siddle. I don't know how he copes with it. Well, it's like 95% pork. So we it is. It's yes. Scotch eggs. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> really, really difficult. So just basically lots of what's it and, Cheese and onion crisps, the diet of the the diet of a sportsman. <laughs> uh, we all like to we asked uh, we like to ask our guests um, whether they've been on a good tours, and uh, if you have, what was your favourite tour to go on? Well, again, I, you've got to understand, I I I was a terrible sportsman. I, I and and the the, the I organised the games that we played, and they were all kind of quite low rent and it never really crossed my mind that I would end up going on a cricket tour but when I when I played for the authors um we got an invitation to go to the Jaipur Literary Festival which is this amazing kind of probably the most internationally glamorous literary festival in the world held in this beautiful city in, in Rajasthan and we were asked to go and, and play a game against the Rajasthan Royals um in Jaipur not the Rajasthan Royals. The Rajasthan Royals. <laughs> the Rajasthan Royals. Um, I think it was the first year that, that the IPL was, was going. So it was kind of publicity for them. So we went over to India and somehow we, we, had, we, we played five matches. The last one was, was, was against the Royals. But the first one was in Mumbai and it was on the Maidan. And you looked around and there was all the kind of Victorian architecture and the Maidan spread, everyone playing cricket. Um, and then the next one was um, a, a match against a, a team of, of um, kind of Mumbai billionaires. 
under lights and it was the wedding season. So there were fireworks going off everywhere. You could see the glimmering of, of Mumbai, the lights of the towers all around. Um, and then afterwards we went out into the bay and had cocktails on a yacht. And then we um, played uh, the um, a Maharaja of Jodhpur's 11 at Jodhpur. Uh, and after that, you asked about the teas, we went up and had gin and tonics on the veranda of his palace, which I think is the largest palace in the world or something, and had a five-course <laughs> meal. And, and I'd, been to, I'd been to that palace years and years before when I was kind of penniless going around India with a backpack. And mm -hmm. I'd walked all the way up there because I couldn't afford a rickshaw. And all I could afford was a cup of tea, and then I'd walked all the way back. And there I was having gin and tonics and five-course dinners talking about cricket. And then we played a team in um, a village in Rajasthan where there were kind of vultures wheeling overhead. Um, and we got given, um, you know, the things that you get around the neck and everything to when you get welcomed. Uh, and the nearest village had um, a shrine to a motorbike. The motor a guy had been driving a motorbike and driven it into a tree. And every time they tried to dispose of the motorbike to the scrapyard, the motorbike would reappear by the tree. So it was regarded as, as, as a god, and there it is in a perspex case. So this was kind of, you thought, this, this can't get any better. Uh, we've had everything, we've had Maharajas, we've had kind of motorbikes that are gods, we've got fireworks, we've, uh, it was just the most amazing trip. How can it get any better? And then we arrived in, in Jaipur for the match against the Royals, and there were elephants, there were dancing girls, um, Charlie, our captain, rode out to do the toss with uh, Shri Sant, do you remember? Everyone's favourite Shri Sant. We love him. We won't hear a thing said against him because he was, he was wonderful. He was so welcoming um, and rode out on camels, did the toss. Um, and, and that was a tough game. Uh, and I hadn't really taken any wickets because I have to say that my... <laughs> My, my medium pace wobble, oddly, the Indian batsman didn't seem particularly susceptible to it. So I hadn't really taken a wicket all match. And then in the, I think kind of penultimate over, I bowled the Crown Prince of Udaipur, which again got photographed. So I've got a photograph of me bowling the Crown Prince of Udaipur. And somehow that just kind of set the seal on the most perfect tour ever. It was, yeah. it, 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 I can't imagine how any cricket tour could possibly have been any better. And we've been on several tours since. So we did another one of India. We've done a couple of Sri Lanka. Amazingly, we did one against the Vatican, where we played in uh, um, St. Peter's Square. We had a cricket-themed sermon under the tomb of St. Peter. Uh, so that was kind of an amazing experience. And then we played uh, in, uh, in Reykjavik in Iceland. So we have had some kind of quite odd... And we played in Corfu as well. So considering I'd never been on a cricket tour eight years ago, I mean, I have... I've, I've, I've just been incredibly privileged, honoured, lucky to have had these amazing, amazing experiences that I will, I will never forget. But that first tour, I don't think will ever be topped. It was one of the, the great, great fortnights of my life. Probably one, probably the greatest. It does sound amazing. And it's amazing as well um, what, what um, mediocre cricketing ability will unlock for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I kept, you know, so, so I remember the second one, the second tour of India, which was great, because Indians don't seem to have the idea that you could not be very good. If they, they assume if you're playing cricket, they, you know, certainly into your 40s, then you must be amazingly good. So we'd say we're not very good. And we'd turn up and there'd be some guy who was just having a rest from the IPL or something. <laughs> and and I, you know, they have kind of the ability to just drill the ball wherever you're not fielding. I mean, I've never seen batting of that quality and we just endlessly run up against them. And, you know, we, we can just about function in English conditions, I would guess. But, but not in India, you know, on yeah. those kind of just cannon fodder. But There's going to be our listeners who are going to look at just being so envious of you that they're going to stop following you and us. <laughs> the, 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 the tours in India or, or indeed Sri Lanka where it's not going well, it's quite tough. I got a 40 overs in, in, in extreme heat <laughs> against, against 20 year old batsmen who are all brilliant. It's, it's quite tough. By the I second mean, gin and tonic though, that's... Um... I don't know. I, I actually, it, no matter how drunk you get, it still hurts. And it hurts all the more when you wake up and not only are you stiff and aching, but you've got a hangover. <laughs> and then you turn up and you see them all getting off the bus and they're all pinging. Pinging the ball in in their fielding practice and running around. 
<laughs> My heart bleeds of how difficult it must be to experience that. <laughs> um, our, our third member, Max, who, um, who couldn't make this uh, interview, um, pointed out when he reviewed our set of questions that we, we'd invited a historian on the show and not asked any uh, questions with a historical focus. Um, so um, just before you dialed in, um, me and Ross got together and we came up with a couple. Um, first of all, which historical figure do you think would have made the best cricket captain? Oh, uh, Douglas Jardine, of course. Is that a cheat? There's got to be someone who doesn't play. Has that got to be someone who doesn't play cricket? I feel like the, the, I'm thinking of a historical figure that came before the invention. Of okay, cricket, okay. So. Um, I think Hannibal. <laughs> yeah, Hannibal, who who um, you know did an amazing tour of of Italy, playing the Romans, and um, you know there was kind of three match series, and he won every single one, with incredibly <laughs> kind of radical tactics. Um, <laughs> even though he you know he he didn't have the players really, didn't have the form. Romans had you know vastly more resources, um, and Hannibal just kept beating them. And you know the Battle of Cannae basically kind of won it by an innings of 190 runs. Yeah, I mean, you could, in some ways, I suppose, you could say the the Battle of Cannae is the maybe the first time an effective ring field had uh, yes. been put in place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, an amazing. He'd have been an amazing cricketer. And also, he's, he, you know, he he was very good at at, at um, getting cricketers from various parts of the world and melding them into a single team and uh, instilling them with with incredible, you know, amazing tactics. And no, he'd have been he'd have been fantastic. So, so, so he would get my vote. Yeah, I think that's um, I think that's a good one. Uh, on on the flip side, then, who who do you think may have been less good at cricket? Um, I think Napoleon. I think Napoleon, um, because we had a leg spinner uh, in our the team I used to captain who was French, um, who'd who'd come over on a student exchange to Somerset in Taunton and had become obsessed by it and had the greatest command of colloquial English I've ever heard from, from Frenchmen. And you talk about seam <laughs> up. This is just seam <laughs> up. Um, and he, he, was, he was flamboyantly terrible as a leg spinner and, and gave a glimpse of, of, I think, of what Napoleon would have been like um, playing cricket. And it would have been terrible, um, which is obviously why we won the Battle of Waterloo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, does your interest uh, in cricket and history ever combine? So, like in the form of potentially some treasured cricket memorabilia, other than your beloved poster? Uh, no, I, I, I don't collect cricket me- memorabilia. But I I, um, I did a piece for uh, the Night Watchman, which is um, the kind of uh, longer form version of Wisdom published by Wisdom series of essays. If you, if, if your listeners haven't come across it, it's it's really fantastic. Um, and I did an essay for that um, about uh, the way that um, cricket mythologizes its own beginnings, that we don't really know where cricket comes from. So there are all these kind of strange stories about where it might have been. Um, people, you know, search through medieval documents to try and find references for it. There are every so often you'll get stories that it came from Belgium or um, my favorite one is that it was um, it was played in ancient Armenia. And the headline was, for some reason, Jesus could have played cricket. <laughs> Which, you know, yeah, it's a wonderful thought. Um, and and there's quite, there's, I, I think the fact that, that, that cricket is so kind of ancient, that it's, it has its, its origins lost in, in the myths of time, kind of conjures a certain kind of religious quality. I mean, say so people talk about Lords as the Cathedral of Cricket, all that kind of that, that, that kind of thing. Um, and there was a, a, a fantastic thing that um, the, uh, the chief druid of, of um, Wiltshire was a, was a very keen leg spinner and asked John Major for permission to play cricket at Stonehenge, which John Major infuriatingly turned down. You'd have thought, you know, John Major's a big cricket fan. Um, so there is this, so, so I was kind of, I, I, I wrote this essay on, on the way in which the mythic origins of cricket I think a part of its appeal, the kind of idea that it, you know, does it lie in Hambledon? Does it lie in Lords? Does it lie in all these kind of ancient grounds, these ancient memories? I think it, it's 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 part of, of what makes it so so vivid and rich. Have you um mm-hmm. have you ever been tempted? Um, bearing in mind you've clearly got an interest in history and, and you are an author. 
to to delve into that in a little bit more detail and and write a book about cricket. Yeah, I'd 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 really like. I mean, but I'm always interested in in um, the stories that people tell about themselves to explain how they be began. So um, whether it's Christianity or Islam or the myths that the Romans told about themselves, or the Spartans or the Athenians or whatever, and 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 it's clear that that cricket has quite an important role like that for you know certainly um, countries that were part of the British Empire and who um, use cricket as a way even though it's a British sport an English sport to define themselves and and, and against British imperialism which which you see vividly I mean I don't know if you watched the because um, today's the, the first we're recording it on the first day of the first test it was rained off and there was this amazing amazing um, piece with Michael Holding and Ebony Rainford Brent um, and then and then they spoke to them because it was it was and it was kind of incredibly powerful about the the legacy of of racism and uh, you know and, and slavery really and, and and the British Empire and everything uh, as part of the kind of the flux of what's going on at the moment and and of course that is lurking there in the background of the origin stories of, of, of West Indies cricket Mm -hmm. um it's there in clr james um you know beyond the boundary probably the most famous book written about cricket um it's there in 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 the idea uh, that uh, andy ball uh, suggested in the guardian that um the england west indies should play for the leary constantine cup rather than the wisdom trophy um and as with the west indies so obviously with australia with uh, with india with pakistan um the what the role that cricket plays in the way that that countries who play it see themselves i think is really really fascinating and it's obviously true for england as well for the reasons that i was saying so I, I i would be very interested in exploring that well i i for one um would, would buy that i think ross you <laughs> well I'll, I'll i'll make sure the editor knows that yeah uh, for, for, for a second there, i thought you were going to go into a, a bit at the start when you're like i don't think i could Pull my six hitting actually into an entire book. I mean, yeah, it's a chapter, but it can be a... the mythic, the, the, the way that I've transmuted that shot into a kind of mythic. Um, <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, how so, some ropey barbarian cavalryman ended up as King Arthur. It's. Uh... <laughs> and then you vanquished the, uh, the vector of disease across the boundary. <laughs> yes, yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's all the questions we've got. Uh, Tom, before you go, is there anything else you would like to mention? Um, yeah, look at the photo of my six. It's fantastic. Yeah. And where can people find that? <laughs> uh, they can find it generally on my Twitter account. Cool. It'll right. go up kind of every week. <laughs> um, that's um, Tom Holland. Thanks for coming on the show, Tom. Thanks so much for having me. That's in the air. Should be taken. The work for Australia. When World Cups come around, you've, you've got to play your best when it counts, and we've managed to do that. So that was Tom Holland interviewed by the Cricket Pod. If you enjoyed the interview, then go ahead and subscribe and also, you know, tell us what you think. Feedback is always good. You can find us at the Cricket Pod on both Twitter and Instagram, or you can email us at the Cricket Pod. No. Start again. <laughs> the Cricket Pod at gmail.com. Um, that is the end of this week's show. We're looking forward to the next test. Hope you all are too. Thank you very much for listening.